Hi guys, and welcome back to my Nose in a Book podcast. Welcome to episode five. Today I'm going to be discussing um, a book called 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher, and I can't wait to tell you all about how much I love it. I know it's been quite a while since I've uploaded a podcast. It has been um, more than three weeks. I'm so sorry. Uh, things have gotten a little crazy at um, the bookstore that I work, that I work at. Um, we have been getting into the holiday season lately, so it's been getting busier and busier. Uh, my hours have increased, which um, I do like because um, I get to talk to more people that way and I get paid more money that way, which is exciting. But uh, yeah, things have been a bit hectic. So now that we've kind of settled into that feeling of being on our game 100% of the time. I am excited to get back into podcasting regularly. And I'm starting off with a book that I read when I was in high school, probably about five or six years ago for the first time. And basically, it's about a boy named Clay Jensen. And he's in high school. I believe he's a senior when this book starts. And he receives a package in the mail with a bunch of video, or sorry, cassette tapes um, with recordings of someone's voice. And the girl who made the recordings um, recently had recently committed suicide. And so Clay receives the recordings after she's committed suicide and realizes that it's her recording the 13 reasons why she killed herself. So obviously this book is going to be really sad. Um, it was also incredibly moving and emotional and honestly uplifting in the end because there's just so much meaning in it and I mean not everyone wants to read a book about the aftermath of suicide but I feel like it's such an important topic for people to be able to discuss without feeling like people are going to call them crazy because it's Mental illness is such an important subject these days. So many more people are being affected by it that I feel like being able to talk about it without fear is so important. And I'm a really big advocate for that, for being able to discuss how you feel with other people honestly without having someone judging you or telling you that it's all in your head because even though it is all in your head, technically it doesn't mean that if it affects you any less than a physical disability does. So I feel like this is a really important book to read just because it is so important for people to understand how mental illness affects one person and everyone around them, um, no matter what illness it is. And this book was so beautifully written and so empathetic and understandable and you identify with all of the characters really well it's so personal that you get attached to the characters really easily which is one of my absolute favorite things about books is when they write characters that you care about and understand and want you just want to hug them <laughs> and I just wanted to hug everyone in this book and Hannah's voice, this is the girl, Hannah's voice is just so, uh, she's very, very, I've said empathetic already, but you just, 
you feel like you know her so well and that and every time he finishes one of the cassette tapes it just hits you again and again that she's gone and she's never coming back and even though she was just a girl in high school she affected so many people around her and so many people around her affected her and her life and it's just such an honest and really interesting way to express how suicide affects everyone. So, right at the beginning of the book, Clay is sending off a package. A package that he just received. And it's the night before a school day and he walks past the school and in the classroom at the front of the room facing the students will be the desk of Mr. Porter. He'll be the last to receive a package with no return address. And in the middle of the room, one desk to the left will be the desk of Hannah Baker. Empty. So that's a little prologue. And then it starts up when Clay first receives the package. And these are the reasons why she killed herself. And the reason that Clay received these tapes is because he is one of the reasons why she killed herself. Which is obviously a terrifying thing for anyone to hear. He's listening to Hannah talk about how he's one of the reasons on the tapes and then she asks them, he, she asks him to pass on the tapes once he's finished listening to the next person on the list. And then the 13th person on the list, she says, can take the tapes straight to hell. <laughs> and as a little bit of insurance, she has made another copy that will be released publicly if the package doesn't make it all the way through the 13 people. Oh man, this book is so meaningful. Now, when I read this, read this, I was in high school, so I was about the same age as the characters in the book, and I was going through a really difficult time with my family and with my school, um, and I just, <sighs> it was really difficult to handle, and of course, everything is really difficult to handle when you're a teenager because your emotions were always running high, you're experiencing everything for the first time, um, obviously your hormones are going crazy as well, and everything seems much more important than it ever possibly should be. And I was dealing with some stuff, so I really identified a lot with Hannah when she was looking back at all of the things that she experienced that kind of added towards her making this decision. And it was just so meaningful. And I've talked to multiple people at work about this book. And every time I talk to someone about it, they put their hand on their heart and they go, oh my God, that book made me cry. It was so beautiful. And I go, I know, absolutely. It was so wonderful. So Hannah talks about her first kiss and how he started bragging that he got into her pants and she started getting a reputation and other people are, you know, talking about her in a bad way. She gets onto the freshman who's hot, who's not list. There's a lot of um, high school stereotypes 
um, in this book that I didn't really personally identify with, so you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. But <laughs> there also weren't any freshmen who's hot, who's not list going around in my school, that's for sure. Obviously, there was enough gossip, so I totally understood that part of it. So it's interesting that Hannah describes all of these little moments, little moments with one person, um, just a little conversation that wouldn't seem meaningful to anyone else, but it means something to her. And I identified with that so many times because it is the little things, you know, the little things, they add up and eventually become the big things because a whole bunch of little bad things in a row maybe don't seem that bad at the time, but then when that one more bad thing comes along, everything just seems hopeless and awful. And it seems like everything is overwhelming and it seems like 90% of the time everything is going negatively. So it's really easy to understand Hannah's point of view and why she would do this, which I think is really great. I think it's really great to see into the mind of someone who experiences depression and it's fantastic. And so as Clay is listening to this tape, these tapes, he's also walking around his town. She gives him a map and, or she gives him a map with the tapes and uh, has all of these little points marked on it. So he's walking around to the places where she experienced these things and going in and out and really being physically in the place where these things happened. And it's really, really cool. So you kind of follow along as Clay really goes on this journey and Hannah expresses how she's been feeling. She got her ass grabbed by a stupid guy because of this list and she kind of got physically harassed and yeah, horrible. And so she moves on from person to person out of all of these, as all of these things have happened to her and the things at first are minor, but had an effect on her. And then the things later on become really major where I think there was a guidance teacher that listened to her and just said she needs to deal with it or a friend who just completely abandoned her when she needed something. And yeah, it's, it's really, uh, he gets so attached to Hannah and you start to love her so much and yeah. I'm going to continue here. This is about 60 pages in. The book isn't super long. Let's see. It's about 288 pages long, so not super long. Pretty easy read. And I've honestly, I've reread it about four or five times since then. And every single time I'm like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. She, uh, she has someone peep in her window when she's hanging out with somebody. Um, yeah horrible. And so she really feels degraded in a lot of ways by the guys around her. And I never have personally experienced that. Um, and it's just so understandable, you know, seeing it from her point of view, seeing her treated like an object, you really understand why she started to feel dehumanized more and more as these things started to 
get a snowball effect where more and more people started treating her like this. Yeah, not great. Um, I think there was also a Valentine's situation where someone pranked her like horribly. There's a whole party situation where someone tries to get her to drink and yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna skip a little to later on. She starts to feel invisible. She starts to feel obviously overlooked and like no one really cares about how she really feels, which, you know, everyone kind of feels in high school like that. So later on, um, she talks about how in one of her classes, everyone had a little bag um, where other people could put in anonymous positive notes. Um, so you could, ha you could compliment someone that you were a little too nervous to compliment to their face. And uh, someone who was angry at her starts stealing all of the notes of encouragement that she got. So for about a month, her bag um, for personal notes was just empty. And that was when she was going through a really bad period of um, time in her life and she really needed any kind of support or encouragement. She cut her hair because she felt like she needed a change because she wasn't feeling like herself. And this boy just took away any positive feedback that she could have had, any hope that she could have had. And she discusses that. And that's really unfortunate because when people are going through tough times like that, they always need someone there being honest with them or giving them hope and love and support. And some of that was taken away from her. And she starts realizing that it can't just be that no one's giving her any hope, um, or sorry, any positive encouragement. So she writes herself a note secretly and then drops it in and then it's gone the next day. So she realizes that someone has been taking them on purpose and she waits and she realizes that it was this guy who had wanted to ask her out and had kind of been turned down a little bit. And uh, she catches him trying to take her notes. And um, he doesn't really give any explanation. He just runs away. And she's very sad about that, I mean, obviously. And she gets angry and upset and starts crying and realizes that or at least starts to think that no one cares about her. When she cut her hair, um, her parents didn't even notice. They were going through a lot of um, pressure to make ends meet. They didn't really have a lot of time for her. And so everything seems to be adding up. We're about halfway through the book at this point and everything is coming down on her altogether. And there's also a bag in that class um, for notes about topics that they can discuss. So she writes a note that reads, suicide. It's something I've been thinking about. Not too seriously, but I have been thinking about it. And so she waits to, for this topic to come out and everyone starts discussing it in class. She wanted to know how they felt. One person said it was going to be hard to help without knowing why the person wanted to kill themselves. And 
they start talking about offering help with their grades or their home life or maybe loneliness, including them and everything. But everything that they said, um, quoting here, came tinged with annoyance. And one of them says, it's like whoever wrote this note just wants attention. If they were serious, they would have told us who they were. Yeah, that's, um, that's really unfortunate because the group discussions had apparently also been on abortion, family violence, cheating, but no one had, no one had asked for the person who um, submitted that topic to name themselves, but for some reason no one wanted to talk about suicide without knowing who specifically was considering suicide. And then the teacher starts talking about local statistics because... A lot of the times, if the suicide isn't in a public place with witnesses, it usually doesn't get reported in the news. Um, it's often uh, skewed as an accident. Yeah, so Hannah feels even more alienated. She feels even more alone and misunderstood, I suppose. And yeah. And then at the end of class, um, they see. Uh, the teacher gives a flyer saying the warning signs of a suicidal individual. Top five, a sudden, sudden change in appearance. And she cut her hair. <laughs> she kind of jokes about it, how she goes through all of these um, signs and people don't notice it, like um, giving her things away, s saying things that could be construed as goodbyes to people before she did it. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. And there are parts later in the book where she tries to share with people and she just gets shut down. Over and over she gets shut down. People refuse to care or they just don't see her or understand what she's trying to tell them. And I don't think her classmates can really be blamed for that. I feel like we don't have enough education in our school these days, schools these days to really be able to look for and recognize the warning signs of someone with self-harming tendencies or suicidal tendencies. And it's such a closed-mouthed discussion. It's one of those things that people don't want to talk about. It's a scary discussion to have, of course, but it's something that needs to be talked about more often and people and parents especially need to have the capabilities to know what to look for so that they can help their children through that time. Um, I know how she feels where you don't feel like you can be honest with anyone about what you're saying because people will assume you're looking for attention or that you're just crazy or that you're just stressed or something like this. But that's really, I mean, obviously you're looking for attention, but not it's not attention in that way. You're more looking for support. And I feel like the fact that it's so hard to get support for things like that these days is just so unfortunate. I know so many people in high school or their late teenage years or early 20s who are experiencing anxiety and depression and feel like they can't talk to anyone about it. And I'm always encouraging people to like, approach being honest with other people because it's obviously an intimidating conversation to have with anybody but if you have at least one person in your life that you know will support you through that and you can talk to them about it and be clear about your feelings and that maybe you're scared of what you're feeling they can they can help i really want 
that I really want everyone to be able to have someone they can talk to about how they feel when they're dealing with something like this. And this book is a really important resource for people to understand if they've never experienced it themselves or had someone experience it. So a little bit later on, Hannah starts, Hannah discusses how she started to get into poetry to express her feelings, which I'm not going to lie, I did that in high school too, and uh, there are some pages out there, some horrible, stupid, emotional, depressing poetry that I wrote that I am very embarrassed about, but um, apparently there was um, a newspaper kind of column that a boy started called the Lost and Found Gazette, where he would find things lying around campus and print them. And obviously he would like get rid of anything personal, so they were all anonymous. Um, but he swore that everything that he collected he found by accident. But unfortunately, he stole one of Hannah's poems. And she talks about that and about how one day she was sharing her poem and uh, her poetry with him. He said that while on the surface it seems like she's writing a letter to her mother about how she feels overlooked and she wants her approval, um, she also wants a boy to stop overlooking her. But then deeper, he says, she was writing a letter to herself because there was no one overlooking her more than she was overlooking herself. And that scared her and got her angry and defensive because it was true. And he stole her notebook afterwards and printed it later on and called it scary. And I'll read the poem here because I feel like it's fairly representative of um, a lot of people dealing with this. And she called it Soul Alone. I meet your eyes. You don't even see me. You hardly respond when I whisper, hello. Could be my soulmate, two kindred spirits. Maybe we're not, I guess we'll never know. My own mother, you carried me in you. Now you see nothing but what I wear. People ask you how I am doing. You smile and nod, don't let it end there. Put me underneath God's sky and know me. Don't just see me with your eyes. Take away this mask of flesh and bone and see me for my soul alone. And unfortunately, when people asked her if she wrote it, she refused to confirm or deny it. And some people wrote parodies. Teachers talked about it in their classes and that's so horrible. Kids can be really, really cruel sometimes, and she felt really attacked. She was really, she was trying to express her feelings, and she just got attacked for them, and that made her feel even more hopeless. And yeah, I think it's really, really sad. And then Clay gets to his own tape, tape number five. And he is the ninth person to listen to the tapes. And it begins, Romeo, oh Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? So the reason that we're listening to the story from Clay's point of view is because he is the only person on the tapes that had a mostly positive effect on her, which was really lovely. She starts talking about how she really noticed how everything that she heard about Clay 
was good. Every time she heard overheard gossip about him, it was always positive. <laughs> and so she started playing a game, which was how long could she go on hearing only good things about Clay. And she talks about the couple times that they encountered each other, and she says, Clay, your name does not belong on this list. You don't belong in the same way as the others, but you need to be here if I'm going to tell my story. And the way that she talks about Clay is really beautiful, and the way that she talks about all the things that have happened in her life are so insightful and so intelligent. And I love Hannah as a character so much, and I think she is able to connect people so well when they're reading this book. It's interesting the way that she connects all of the different tiny little things that have happened to her into this huge web of one thing affecting another, affecting another, and adding up to something really unfortunate that happens too often. And you find out later on in the tapes that she's, the main reason that she sent them to Clay um, for him to hear this part of her story, or her whole story really, um, is so that he can hear her explanation and also her apology because I think she, he's the only person that she really wants to apologize for doing what she did. And she starts off the premise of this party story um, that this was the first time in a long time that she really felt hope that something good could happen because she knew that Clay was going to be there and she was excited that something good might finally happen to her after having such a hard time over the last few months. So she talks about how at the party they start talking and they connect immediately and they talk for a really long time and they end up um, being kind of shoved out of the living room because other people are doing stuff and they go upstairs outside of a room and they're talking and talking and they're getting along so well and then uh, they kiss. Um, and it's great, and they go inside the room, and they're kissing on the bed, and they're kissing, and it's, uh, that's it. Because Hannah stops kissing Clay, and she remembers how the first time she kissed a boy, he ruined it. He went and bragged about how she was a slut, and how he managed to get her, um, and all of these horrible things, and she just, she makes him stop and she turns away and she can't handle the idea of people talking about her and insulting her behind her back and she asks him to leave and he leaves. He didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay and he wanted to help her but she, she just told him to stop talking and leave and ignored him and shut him out and he left. And they never spoke again. Hannah always, always avoided him after that because she had decided to kill herself. When she got home after the party, she took a page from her notebook and wrote down all of the names that had affected her all of the names of all the people that had affected her, all of the 13 people. And realized the way that her story was laid out. And she apologizes to Clay. And it's a really, really sad moment because you realize that they had all of this potential to be happy. And now 
that door is permanently shut. And it's really, really sad. And in the meantime, a friend of Clay's, the person who has the extra set of tapes actually, has realized that Clay has the tapes and is listening to them and is sitting with him and helping him deal with this. And they talk about it, about how they miss her and how they didn't have a chance to say anything to her and now that they know what, they're, what she's going through, they understand her more, but they miss her even more as well. And so Clay moves on to the next person discussed on the tape. And then you realize that Hannah stayed in that bedroom and she was in the corner of the bedroom, um, really drunk, um, she couldn't stand up or move. Um, the bedroom was dark, and a couple came in. She doesn't name them for the first while, and the girl is incredibly drunk, can't really move. Um, they weren't dating or barely knew each other, but uh, she was drunk, and uh, he, the boy comes back in, and uh, he has a friend with him. And the second boy says that he's working the night shift and has to leave soon. He just needs a few minutes. And the first boy lets him in and leaves. And she is horrified and she uh, slides into the closet because she can't move properly and she hears a rape. And she's so overwhelmed and horrified and hopeless that she just lies there and lies there and lies there until he leaves. And she runs outside and she throws up outside. So now she's talking to the first boy, the boy that let in the second boy that committed the rape, and is asking do you still hang out with this boy, your friend? Why did you let him do it? It's partially his fault and it's partially Hannah's fault for letting it happen and for knowing what would happen and not doing anything to stop it. So the next episode on the tape um, talks about how Hannah uh, was leaving the party and she got into a car with a girl who had had something to drink, um, clearly too much, because when they're in the car, the girl knocks over a stop sign, um, and Hannah asks her to stop and pull the car over so that they can leave, but the girl refuses, and she just tells Hannah to get out of the car, and she leaves, and the stop sign is knocked down, and later on that night, the stop sign not being there causes an accident, um, and one of the drivers dies, and Hannah hears about it, and hear about hears about where it happened and realizes that because she didn't call the police or do anything about it that she was partially responsible for someone dying and so she starts to think about death and she starts to think about what it would be like where instead of everyone going to the funeral of the the person that died in the car if they were at her funeral and what it would be like and she realizes that she has no idea what anyone thinks of her because no one will ever be honest with her and tell them 
tell her how they feel and she can't be honest with anyone else and yeah just another thing that um, caused her to really consider suicide and we're almost to we only have the last two tapes to go and I don't think I'll read the rest um, because I think you get the gist of it but it ends with a really, a really kind of heartwarming event where Clay uh, sees someone at his school, um, realizes that she, um, she doesn't look like she is doing well either, sees a couple of the signs that he saw in Hannah, and he goes after her, and he talks to her, and the implication is that he helps her, and he supports her and befriends her and even if it's not romantic he has a positive influence on her life to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again and as sad as this book is as sad as it is seeing the aftermath of a suicide I feel like it was so necessary at the time this book was written in 2007 and during that era I guess maybe that decade or I suppose it was really before a lot of the conversations on mental illness had started. Um, I've noticed that in the last six or seven years, there's been a lot more conversations, honest conversations about mental illness, about anxiety and depression and bipolar and OCD and all of these other issues that so many people struggle with and that are really not their fault that they struggle with. And I struggle with some of those too, and it's really difficult to deal with. I've been dealing with it for many years, and it's something that I have to deal with on a daily basis. And my struggles have changed over the years, and the things that I deal with have changed, and my support system and situations have changed. But it's still something that I deal with every single day, and that never really goes away. And so, I've read a few books from the point of view of people with mental illnesses, and that's also really encouraging, and there are definitely some books that I could recommend um, f from the point of view of someone dealing with depression or with anxiety or OCD or things like that. Um, but it's so much more rewarding for, for me to see, I think for me at the time, to have read a book where you see the aftermath. And for me, it was a book that was really discouraging to me to consider suicide as an option. And I really think that the author would be rewarded to know that, um, that he, the book that he wrote helps someone eliminate suicide as an option when sometimes it can feel like the easiest way out of a bad situation. And I recommend this book to everyone because everyone knows someone or has known someone who has dealt with this. It is such a common thing in our society today for someone to be dealing with illnesses like this that this is a book that everyone can and should read so that they know what the struggle is like, so that they know how things can lead up to this, so that they know what they can do in the situation to help prevent it, and so that they can... Um, hear about a situation like this with empathy and understanding and that's what's really important about knowing someone with mental illness or having a mental illness yourself that's so 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 important 
So if you want any recommendations for me or if you have any recommendations for me or if you just loved the book and want to tell me all about it, please feel free to tweet me at nosinabookpod on Twitter. Um, considering making a Facebook page. We'll see what happens. Or if you know me in life, um, please feel free to come up to me and talk about this book with me because I love it so much. It's one of my all-time favorites and I'm happy to have shared it with you. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you guys soon. Bye.